on this edition of Holding Court, we are living in a 20-20-20 tennis world. Thanks to Raya Eyewear for sponsoring this episode of Holding Court. I've been wearing Raya since last year. During the pandemic, I started teaching more lessons than ever before, especially outside. Raya are by far the best sunglasses for tennis I've ever used. Check them out at RayaEyewear.com. That's R-I-A-Eyewear.com. And use the code PATRICK to get $20 off your first pair. They are total game changers. All right, everyone, on this edition of Holding Court, you know what time it is. It's Tennis Tuesday time, and that means we got to recap what's going on, and we all know what has just happened, yet another historic milestone for the one and only Novak Djokovic, his 20th major title. So, of course, we are living, as I've said, as I tweeted, in a 20-20-20 men's tennis world. Of course, Serena still has 23, so we have to remind ourselves of that, but... Uh, what another just incredible run for Djokovic uh, to win the title. It was never really in doubt, if you want the, uh, the honest truth from the get-go. Uh, he did drop the opening set uh, of the tournament to uh, the Brit Jack Draper, 19-year-old. But uh, after that, it was smooth sailing. Of course, dropped the set, the opening set in the championship match on Sunday against Matteo Berrettini, who had a just tremendous run to get through to the championship match for Italia. And, of course, we have to throw uh, congratulations to Italia for winning the Euro Cup uh, on Sunday evening, much to the dismay of everyone here in England. And, yes, I'm still in England. I'm getting set to uh, fly back uh, this afternoon, uh, but I wanted to record this here from London before I get back on the Big Bird heading home. So I made sure I took a just a slightly later flight during the day on Monday, so I had some time to think about uh, what's happened these last couple weeks and get this podcast out for all of you uh, to wake up to and hopefully enjoy on Tuesday morning for my Tennis Tuesday. So it's been a little uh, difficult to continue the run while I've been at Wimbledon, considering how much uh, I was on the air with ESPN, but we had a great tournament. ESPN, uh, extremely happy. Also, great news for us at ESPN, signing, signing a long-term extension uh, with the All England Club so that uh, we will be broadcasting. Well, I hope we. I hope I'm still part of it in another 15 years or so for uh, another 15 years. So the contract extended out. I think it was due to be up in about three years. Uh, so that's great news. Um, a nice thing for us on the ESPN team to hear because, of course, we lost some of the uh, ATP events that, uh, starting this year. Uh, so we're down to hopefully we get the Australian Open back again uh, for 2022. Uh, and, of course, we've got Wimbledon and the U.S. Open. Anyway, you're not – well, you maybe are a little interested in that, but that, that interesting. Let's talk about Joker's run. You know, I'm just looking at uh, his path to the championship this year. Actually, when you look at it, Maybe the easiest pass he's ever had to win Wimbledon when you talk about Jack Draper in the opening round. By the way, I'm not knocking any of these guys, but just let's be real here. Jack Draper, Kevin Anderson, of course, who he beat a couple of years ago in a final, but Anderson is a shadow of what he used to be because he's coming off of some injuries. He's gotten a little bit older, so his movement is, is suspect at this point uh, compared to to what he was a couple of years ago. So that was an easy win for Joker. Dennis Kudla, the Americans, very, actually played really well 
This is the thing. He played really well against Djokovic and almost won a set on grass. Okay, couldn't even win a set. He was close and uh, loved Dennis, and it was nice to see him make a run uh, to the third uh, third round. Then you had Christian Garin uh, from Chile, who also had, a, for him, you know, his best run ever at Wimbledon to make it to the fourth round, but he was absolutely no match. I called that match on center court, absolutely no match for Djokovic. And that one, he was nervous in the beginning, played one decent set, which was 6-4. Uh, Joker ran away. Then he took on Fucevic um, in the quarterfinals. Fucevic, tough player, fit, very, very physical in that he's very fit. He doesn't hit the ball that big. Uh, sort of a poor man's Djokovic, I guess you could say. He, you know, times the ball well. He just doesn't have nearly the same firepower and versatility, but a really good player. Again, had the tournament, the Wimbledon of his life, and couldn't get a set, really come close to a set against uh, Djokovic. Then he was tested uh, in the semifinals, although he didn't lose a set in that one either against Denis Shapovalov. Three very close sets and from big parts of the match. Shapovalov was able to actually outplay Djokovic and outhit him, but when it came down to those moments, those crucial moments in each of the sets, it was Djokovic just too solid. He has this ability, Novak Djokovic, to assess the situation, assess the opponent, assess the surface, the conditions, what he needs to do to win the point. And sometimes that means going big on the second serve. We saw him do that quite a bit throughout the tournament, not in the final, by the way. Um, sometimes that means pulling the trigger early in the point. A lot of times it means just keeping the ball in play, using his slice backhand, taking a little bit off the forehand. And he has, it better than I've ever seen of anyone, an ability with basically the same preparation and the same swing path, and the same approach to each shot to hit like four or five different shots on each on each shot. And that's like, you know, every player has a little bit of that, but he has that ability to kind of take it in, in second or third gear on a forehand. I mean, look, look at even what happened in the final against Berrettini. And he admitted after the match, Djokovic, he was very nervous uh, in those first few games and really throughout the entire first set. So it was Berrettini early on as well. Both guys were tight. And so Novak actually double-faulted three times in the first two games. Uh, and I think he had one more double in the whole match that came late in the match. Um, but he, because he's tight and he knows he's tight, he's just trying to spin the serve. I mean, he had some serves in the mid-70s, okay? And this is a guy who was averaging, you know, high 90s, hundreds, and can hit second serves at 111, 115 at times. But it's all about managing himself and he even said that in the odd court interviews after the match. You know, he's learned how to manage the ups and downs that go on in a match. And he's a very emotional guy. He's a brilliant guy. I mean, to hear him speak, especially over the course of the last couple of weeks. I mean, I've always known that. But for people to see just how smart he is, um, how thoughtful he is, uh, cares about the game, you know, with trying to unionize the, the players, which which I think is a, is is a great thing to attempt to do. Whether it's going to happen is another question. But I think he really genuinely cares. He's made some major mis mistakes. We know that, um, you know, with drinking the, the mystery water or, you know, getting COVID as he did around. It was actually right around this time last year. Remember when he had that exhibition event, which he was trying to do something good for his country and a bunch of players got it. So, you know, he, he's taken a lot of heat, some of it um, justified. Um, obviously hitting the ball, the Lions person at the U S open was a major mistake. It was his mistake. Of course he didn't do it on purpose, 
but uh, you have to be in control of your actions. And he lost a little control and he paid the price, a huge price. And the, the, the fact that he's come back from that, and I mentioned this, I talked to my brother about this because both of us were, and, and my, John, my brother John was even more um, sort of questioning how he's going to recover from that when, when it happened, you know, in the aftermath of when he got defaulted from the U.S. Open. Well, he's answered those questions and then some. I mean, the, the, the recovery mentally, emotionally, putting it behind him, and obviously what he's done this year, uh, dealing with a lot of stress in Australia when it looked like he might have to pull out of the, of the tournament. Remember that match against Taylor Fritz? He looked like he was in, well, he was. He was in serious uh, physical pain, and he somehow managed to manage himself, which is, again, part of the reason he's now at 20 majors because he's learned how to pace himself. He's learned that he can play at, in second gear and still win and sometimes hurt. And even against team in that Australian open final, not this year, last year when he was uh, visibly looked to be in trouble, that was more of a fitness issue. Um, so anyway, this is arguably his easiest path. I mean, when you look at again, then Shapovalov in the semis, as I said, Berrettini, I mean, none of these players have won a major. Okay. Uh, obviously, there was only Federer in the field. You had, you know, Chilich. You had no Nadal. You had Murray. He's not a factor as far as winning the tournament. He brought a lot of life to the tournament in the first week, did Andy Murray. So it was great to see him back. He got dismantled by Shapovalov, which, which turned out to be not that surprising when you look how well Shapovalov played. I think that hurt Murray in that he was like, well, wow, like I won a couple of matches. I beat a couple of pretty good players, and I just got my butt kicked. By, by a legit player, by a guy who's not, you know, he's not Rafael Nadal yet. Well, no, he's never going to be Shapovalov, but you, get, you catch my drift. Uh, hopefully, he will build off this Shapovalov. Hopefully, the same for Berrettini. I mean, you heard him say after the match, you know, I hope this is just a start. We hope so, too. I mean, I really hope so. I mean, I have to admit, I'm getting a little bit tired of the Medvedevs and Sitsipasses. Team won one, but we got to put the asterisk next to it at the moment because there was no Rafa, no Roger, no Novak. He still won it. He and, you know, had to come from behind to win and in five sets of the U.S. Open. But you, you sort of keep waiting for one of these guys when they make the run to the final. You know, when Medvedev's done it twice. Sitsipas now has done it at the French Open. Berrettini's now done it here. Um, who am I missing of, the, of this crew? I think that's about it. Uh, you'll remind me if I miss someone. But, you know, to build on it. Now, obviously, it's become, it become incredibly difficult to build on it because of the dominance of these guys and these, these especially Djokovic in the last 10 years. It's just, I think he's won, what, 10 of the last 12 majors, 11 of the last 13, something insane. Uh, I love when people send me my tweet that I tweeted, I don't know, five, six years ago. I guess it was probably five years ago when I said, I wonder what Djokovic and Nadal will be ranked when they're 34. Because this was the time when I think Federer was, was he one? It was one or two or three. Uh, and I'm thinking, there's no way Djokovic and Nadal are going to be, you know, that, that level. I guess now I could say, I wonder what Djokovic and Nadal will be ranked at 40 because Federer is about to turn 40 and he will still be in the top 10. I know he's got a little help with the ranking system, but... Uh, you know, I like to needle the Djokovic and Nadal fans, but they like to needle me back, and that's okay. That's actually very cool. Um, and the Djokovic fans loved my tweet that I tweeted out after the match. Welcome to a 2020-20 world, uh, Novak Djokovic. So that got a lot of play. Uh, usually the biggest tweets 
that get played have always been about Federer over the years, you know, because there's a huge amount of Federer fans, Nadal as well. Um, but Novak, I'm telling you, his fan base is growing. He's becoming more and more appreciated, as he should. Uh, how many more majors will he end up with? Of course, you know, many people are saying four to six more. Maybe even, I even heard the word 30 being thrown around when they were talking to his coach, his co-coach, Goran Ivanisevic. Uh, <clears throat> whether he can get that far, I don't know. Um, I'm not sure he's going to be able to win the o I mean, he's going to be the huge favorite at the Open. It sounds like uh, Djokovic is not going to play the Olympics uh, if you go by what he said in his press conference after the match, even the interview he did courtside with um, our own Darren Cahill. He sort of skirted that. And then in the press conference, he said it's 50-50. Now, he had been saying he was going to go for the Golden Slam, uh, but now there's lots of... Uh, COVID protocols at the Olympics where, you know, you can only bring certain number of people. You can't leave the village. You can't go watch the other athletes. There's not going to be any fans at all. I would not blame Djokovic at all if he decides to pass. Because, you know, the Olympic tennis tournament starts in like two weeks. So this had to take a lot out of him emotionally, not so much physically, because the matches for him were relatively easy. It was a, t a pretty physical four-set final over three hours. Uh, but once he lost that first set in the tie break, you know, he got a quick start in that second set. And it was pretty much in control. Chris Everett asked my brother and I, we were, we were all gathered in our uh, ESPN green room, actually watching the Euro championships. And she looked at me and my brother. We were having a little pizza and a brewski. She said, did you ever think that um, Berrettini would win? And we both didn't hesitate and said, no. You know, he never, never felt like he could actually win the match. Uh, made it close and played his butt off. And despite the strapping on the left thigh area, you know, his movement seemed to be solid. He said he had a little bit of a tweak, which is not surprising because he played so many matches over the course of the last month, winning the Queens Club, getting through to the final here. But you know, I never felt watching the match that he was going to win it. Uh, he certainly was close, uh, to, you know, kept it close in each of the sets. But once Joker got off to that quick lead in that second set, um, you know, he sort of re, uh, he, he re-energized. He said that he felt a little, t you know, tight throughout the whole opening set to Joker. And it's a, by the way, it's another reason why best of five is so good because if that was best of three, uh, Djokovic would have played that beginning stages of the second set probably a lot differently. Um, so best of five is why the majors, this why the majors are best of five because you got to do it over a long period. We've seen over the last couple of years that, you know, Djokovic, Nadal, uh, they're not as dominant in the, uh, in the two out of three set tournaments in those matches, uh, in those tournaments, you know, partly because they're pacing themselves, but also partly because two out of three is, it's not only just the two sets, it's also the, the approach that players have to each set. You know, when you know it can go best of five, you, there's, a, there's a different sort of approach to the match. And uh, that's why, generally speaking, the better players win over the course of best of five more often than best of three. And, and I believe that tennis, you know, was set, was set up so that that could happen. I would love to see the women play best of five uh, at the majors as, uh, too as well, by the way. I don't know if that's going to happen um, because they've always played best two out of three, but there you go. So taking a quick break here and uh, we'll come back and we will look at the ladies championship won by the great versatile Australian Ash Barty. 
This episode is being brought to you by Raya Eyewear. Over the last few years, a growing concern of mine has been the long-term effects of overexposure to UV rays from my extended time on court in the sun, you know, following that little yellow ball all over the globe. Well, I was also just tired of squinting on sunny days, but my fear was always that wearing sunglasses to protect my eyes would affect the way I hit the ball. Well, last year, especially during the pandemic last summer, I came across Raya, and I'm so, so glad that I did. Raya is changing the way tennis players see the game and protect their most important performance asset, their vision. All of their eyewear is handcrafted in Italy and built specifically to enhance ball contrast and provide protection from those harmful UV rays. There's no question that they help me see the ball better, they relax my eyes in the sun, and they've become an essential part of my tennis experience. Check them out at RiaEyewear.com. That's R-I-A-Eyewear.com. Use the code PATRICK to get $20 off your first pair. I promise you will love these sunglasses. This episode of Holding Court is being brought to you by True. That's T-R-U, the lifestyle beverage. Absolutely amazing. Go to drinktrue.com to learn more. I suggest you try out the True Sampler, 30% off with the code PATRICK. All right, so the ladies' championship was also won by the top seed. Also, my prediction at the beginning of the tournament, Ash Barty, I predicted Djokovic as well. Not exactly going out on a limb, uh, it was uh, not quite as much of a given for Ashley Barty, I think, to win the title, despite being the number one seed. She never had a deep, deep run at Wimbledon, despite the fact that we all believed, and it came to be true, that she's got a beautiful game for grass, a lot of variety, uh, excellent serve, great mover on the grass court, backhand slice, the ability to use the slice, for offense and defense, obviously excellent forehand with a lot of topspin uh, and also the ability to come to the net. So she took out um, Karolina Pliskova in the championship match, which was an excellent match. Barty had a chance to run away with it early as Pliskova came out of the gates uh, quite nervous, lost the first four games uh, in a matter of minutes. So it looked like, oh, here we go, like a one and you know two type of final. Luckily, Pliskova was able to get her head together, get her game together. Um, and it, ta- it turned out to be a really good match. It, again, it, it's a little bit like the men's. Uh, the men's, you never, I never felt that Pliskova was going to win it, but certainly after winning that second set when Barty served for it, kind of holding her nerve a bit better than Barty did in the second set tiebreak, you thought, well, okay. But Barty, in the same way that Djokovic sort of got off to that really good start, um, early in the second set, she got off to a very good start, uh, regrouped early in that third set, and, and, and was playing from ahead throughout most of that final set. So that, to me, was sort of the key moment. Uh, if Barty had been just a little more solid in that second set, she really should have won it in straight sets. She had a chance to do it, obviously, but uh, she is, uh, you know, she's a great story. I mean, with what she's been able to do, taking a break when she was a teenager because she wasn't enjoying tennis. She had won, you know, she won junior Wimbledon 10 years ago as a 15-year-old. So the Aussies all of a sudden said, wow, you know, we've got a great young uh, female player, which they hadn't had for a long time. Um, and it was a look out to be, it was just too much for her. She was doing great in doubles as a teenager, won a couple of majors in doubles. Uh, and she just walked away, said, I've had it. Uh, you know, by the way, it's always, it, it, it's always, 
Always is too strong a word. It's always it's trickier for the Australian players to go out on tour because they can't go home as often as players can from Europe and Americas and South America and so on uh, because it's so far. So when they leave home, you know, they're even even before COVID, by the way, when Australians leave home, they're generally going for four, you know, to six months at a stretch uh, when they when, when they leave Australia after the Australian Open. So that is, uh, you know, throws a different wrinkle. And I think as a teenager, you know, that was hard for her. She grew up, you know, playing in Australia. She didn't, tr- you know, even Australians as juniors don't travel as much as American kids do and European kids. Uh, anyway, so she went back to Australia, got into cricket. I, I guess she never really played cricket until she joined up with a local team. And then, you know, <laughs> she's got pretty darn good hand-eye coordination. Maybe she played as a kid just a little bit, but she was playing uh, – sort of, a, I guess, a semi-pro league. Any of you cricketers can correct me. I, I don't have all the details on exactly what level the team she played on. But she played and um, enjoyed it. And there's video of her, you know, batting. And uh, and then she decided after, you know, a year or so, okay, she wanted to get back into tennis. So she sort of worked her way back um, and, you know, won that French Open a couple of years ago, which was a little bit of a surprise that she won. Not a surprise that she was going to win a major because she's good on all services. But I think to win the first one at the French was a little bit surprising. Darren Cahill, my co- cohort at ESPN, we were discussing, you know, the, the Australian thing about the travel. And he said, you know, it's always difficult for Australians because they can never really celebrate. You know, she, he said she didn't even get to go home and celebrate when she won the French. She had to come, you know, straight to Wimbledon, as all players do. But if you live in Europe... Or you even live, you know, Serena, for example, the year she won the French, you know, she'd go home for a week or so uh, to celebrate before she'd come back and prepare for the grass. You know, Djokovic, Nadal, those guys, when they win, win the French Open, you know, Nadal, you always see him going back to Mallorca for a few days before he comes back over to England to prepare for Wimbledon. So it's just, it's just another wrinkle, not, not hugely important. Uh, but I, I just love the way Barty handled the pressure because right from the start, everyone was talking about her. Uh, being the favorite. Serena was also the co-favorite with her, so that was a major bummer that Serena had to pull out with the injury. We still don't know exactly what it was. You know, She had her leg taped. Was it related to that? Was it the knee? It looked like you know her leg sort of buckled a couple of times after she in- injured it, you, you know, just trying to walk. So you hope that she's okay. She's been posting, as she always does, on Instagram with her with her daughter and, you know, her various business interests. So she's got it going no matter what she does. She can never pick up a tennis racket again. She's still got it going, Serena. Uh, She obviously wants to get to number 24. The amazing thing now is it's sort of looking more likely that Djokovic will get to 24 than Serena, which is crazy because that means Djokovic has got to win uh, four more. Is it 20? Uh, So, uh, look, as I've said before, Serena can do it. I mean, she's been in four finals since she gave birth. This is the first time she went out real early, and obviously the injury had a lot to do with that. Um, it seems like the motivation is there uh, to continue to train and play. All, all the insiders that know her and know about her practice routine and uh, her preparation said she was in great shape. You know, She was moving great. She was looking good. She spent time at uh, her coach's academy in France uh, in between the French and Wimbledon to get herself ready. So it was a freak thing. You know, we saw some other injuries, obviously, early in the tournament, those first couple days. As the tournament went on, as it always does, uh, the footing gets a lot better. So Ash Barty uh, celebrating, uh, I'm sure, at the, I guess, still in the bubble hotel, which remember the players had to say in the bubble in a hotel. 
so Barty, is she playing the Olympics? Uh, I'm not sure if she's playing the Olympics, actually. Kyrgios was supposed to play for Australia. He pulled out because he got injured, you remember, as well. But that was a, a stomach muscle. Olympics is going to be weird. I mean, it's just going to be weird for tennis because I think I don't think Djokovic is going to play now. Uh, Serena's not playing. The American team, even even a few of the top male players who could have played, like Isner, Opelka, and so on, a few of those guys decided not to play. So the Olympics is not that high in the priority list for a lot of tennis players at the moment. Now, for a lot, it is. Obviously, for certain people in certain countries, it's still the Olympics. But with all the COVID restrictions, getting to Tokyo, the paperwork, the bubble, uh, I think the players are getting a little bit tired of that uh, type of life. Understand? I mean, we all are, right? But um, so we'll see how that goes. But I think I actually think it's a, probably a good move for Djokovic to not play because I think uh, I think he's I don't think it's going to be as easy as a lot of people think for him to win the U.S. Open because the U.S. Open. Uh, First of all, he's he's despite how great he is on hard court, he's not uh, been that great in Australia throughout the course of his career. He just hasn't played his best tennis there for, I think, a couple of reasons. Conditions are usually a bit quicker. The ball flies a little bit more. So, you know, Nadal likes it because he gets more jump off the court with his topspin. It can be windy. It can be super hot. Uh, you can play in various conditions. The Australian can be those things too, but I feel like the conditions in Australia are more predictable. And also remember in Australia, from at least a quarters on, maybe even before then, the top players always play at night in Australia. And at night matches, the conditions are much more predictable. Uh, it's, it's, the ball doesn't move as much as it does during the day. And most of those top guys, I mean, obviously they win no matter what the conditions are, particularly the, the Nadal and, and Djokovic and Fed. Um, and the women's tournament will be, will be, again, will be pretty open. I mean, you had Kerber making a nice run uh, to the semifinals. She played a really good match with, with um, Barty there. Barty just a little bit too solid overall. Uh, you had a couple other surprises. I mean, Sabalenka had a good run through to get to her first deep run in a major as a two seed. She took out Jabor, who was a, certainly a story for the first um, Arab player. She's from Tunisia to get that far in a major. And she was uh, really fun to watch with all her variety of drop shots. Uh, Sabalenka beat her in the quarters, and Sabalenka lost a tight one to Pliskova in the championship match. So I think that gives Sabalenka... A huge boost. She's solidly number two in the ranking. So that, I think, will help her moving forward as far as the Open uh, goes. Uh, who else could be a threat? I mean, you know, women's, again, you, you know, Sviantec, she lost to Jabor here. To me, she's, you know, one of the most athletic players. Coco Goff had a good run as well before she took out cover. Overall, it was actually disappointing for the American women because we've been so used to players getting through, whether it's, you know, Jen Brady, Anisimova's kind of tailed off a little bit. Uh, Coco, you know, still <clears throat> progressing, I think, uh, at a really good clip. Uh, you thought, well, maybe Madison Keys is going to make a big run, but she disappointed in that round of 16 match. Sloan Stevens had a big win in the first round over Kvitova, uh, but then couldn't back that up. Um, who else am I forgetting on the women's side? Obviously, Venus will continue to play, you think, not be a factor as far as the big tournaments are concerned. Uh, maybe I'm missing a couple other, but we, I was surprised that we didn't have an American woman come through just a quick, 
uh, comment too on Sebastian Corda, who I may have mentioned in an earlier podcast, but love him, love his game, love his upside. Gets a little bit stronger in the legs, a little more physical. Uh, his serve kind of let him down in that match with Hatchinoff. He, you know, they he broke, lost his serve like what five or six times in a row in the in the fifth set. Broke back a bunch of times, uh, but Corda had a good. He was the last American man standing, so American men still sort of in that you know, 20, 25 to 65 range. There's nobody that's looking like they're going to break through, except for, in my opinion, Korda. Tiafo had a good couple of wins, but then really disappointing against Hatchinoff in the third round. Taylor Fritz off of the knee surgery, a couple of wins. Decent match with Zverev. Opelka, extremely disappointing, losing in his opening round. Uh, Who am I missing there? Opelka, Tommy Paul. He pulled out, actually, with an injury. So we'll see if they can get it together. I think Korda is the best shot um, for the American men moving forward. Isner, Query, you know, they're hanging on. They'll hang on as long as they can. Uh, so it should be an interesting summer. I hope everybody enjoyed uh, Wimbledon. It was amazing to be back uh, on the grounds of the All England Club. A lot different this year just because of the protocols and the contract tracing from the National Health Service. I mean, I barely went out, you know, stayed in a hotel here in Chelsea, which uh, was a little different for me, but enjoyed it. I got to hang with my big bro a bit, which was awesome, and uh, decided to stay just a little longer so I could make sure I get this podcast done for you all. I hope you're enjoying it. Please uh, send me messages on anything else you'd like to cover. What were your favorite moments from Wimbledon this year in 2021? It has been a pleasure. Patrick McEnroe, I am out. Holding Court with Patrick McEnroe is powered by Mudhouse Media.